Good morning and welcome. Beautiful, beautiful Lord's Day morning that God has given us today to worship. Um, just a brief announcement. Um, in addition to the, the announcements in your bulletin, um, all of which I'd encourage you to look at later, uh, we also have vacation Bible school brochures and registration forms on the table in the narthex. So we'd encourage you to uh, check those out and pick them up uh, after worship. But right now we have the highest privilege that we encounter each week. And that's the privilege to gather as God's people in worship. So let's join our hearts together in a moment of prayer. Ask that God would sanctify that which we do, that He would use it to strengthen us, and that He would use it to bring glory to His name. Let's pray. Father, we are your people. You have gathered us, and you know precisely what each one of us needs. We pray that you would provide for us this day, that we might be strengthened and equipped and drawn close to you. And we pray that you would use our faith and our worship to bring glory to your holy name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. The Lord calls us to worship with these words from Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Congregation of our Lord, from where does your help come? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Hear now his greeting. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's sing praise together to him from number 111. Number 111. Thank you. 
as we consider together God's law, it is well that we take care that we not embrace the error that is embraced has been embraced by so many. The error of using that law as a ladder by which to climb up to God, a means of, of making ourselves righteous in His sight. If we think that by following the law we can do that, then we know neither the law nor ourselves well enough. Because in fact, if we understand not just what these commands tell us not to do, but what they call us to do, the way that they call us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul, and mind and strength, the way that they call us to love unreservedly our neighbor as we love ourselves, well, we'd be hopeless if we tried to use this to create a righteousness that would stand before God's judgment. We can't do it. But instead, it humbles us, shows us the depth and the breadth of our need so that we can come before God trusting not in ourselves, but in Him, in His Son, who was righteous for our sake, in His Son, who suffered the penalty for our sin. And then we can take up that law as a means of showing thanks, even in our imperfection, even in our less than fulsome obedience. To us, who have been delivered from the slavery of sin, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, nor the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Again, if we rely on our keeping of that law, we have no hope. But if we use that law to remind us that our hope is not in us, it's in Christ, then we have immense hope. So let's make that our confession, that, that though we know the cost of our sin is to be cast off from God, we trust in Him and in what He has accomplished in Christ as all our hope. We do that by singing from Psalm 52, selection 97. We'll sing stanza 1 and then 4 through 6. 1 and then 4 through 6 of 97.
the chief wondrous work which we ought to confess of God is that which is described in Romans 5. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's because of what Jesus has done that we can enter without fear into God's presence. It's because of what He has done that we take up with joy His commands as a sign of our gratitude. And it's because of what Christ has done that we can bring with confidence all of our needs before God. As we do so this morning, uh, a few updates. Um, we noted in a prayer email yesterday that Bruce Smith um, continues to need prayer for healing and relief from pain. He's in the hospital after his, his surgery from last week. Uh, definitely improving, but he, uh, he really struggles with trying to get up and, uh, and get mobile, which is not unexpected. So please keep Bruce in your prayers. Also, Linda's dad. It's been a blessing. Linda's been able to be with Bruce in the hospital. Um, but her father is a concern. He's had significant health problems and uh, was admitted to the hospital yesterday. Linda, on the other hand, um, was blessed with the news that her sores that she's been struggling with for about 11 months are healed. So we praise the Lord for that. Um, please pray for Jamie Elzinga as she is going in for a scan uh, Thursday. And um, for a while we have been praying every couple weeks for Grace's brother Jonathan uh, on deployment. He is home now and made it home safely. So we rejoice in that. Um, in addition... Today is Mother's Day, and uh, we should certainly be thanking the Lord for the mothers among us and praying uh, for them, um, and also remembering those for whom Mother's Day is difficult. You know, there are uh, many who long to be mothers, but God hasn't given them that yet. There are others who have lost children, who have found raising their children to be a trial and a variety of other um, heartaches that come with that. Being a mother's hard, right? So we should, we should pray for all of the mothers and uh, those who long to be mothers in our midst. And uh, it's ironic that right on the eve of that, our country has been cast once more into deepening division because of abortion. Our culture's desire to avoid motherhood. We need to pray for our nation. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this day overwhelmed with gratitude that you love us, that you care for us, that you provide so perfectly for us. Lord, we see evidence of that on every side. We see it in the way that you provide healing when we're sick, when you pro how you provide comfort when we're grieved, how you surround us with the saints that we might know that we're not alone when we struggle, and how you give us the beauty of the springtime and the provision that sits upon our tables and the family that surrounds us and and the church family in which we rejoice to remind us of the multitude of your mercy and your care. Father, we pray that you would continue to watch over us and bless us and keep us this day. Enable us to recognize the goodness of your provision. The blessing that is ours to know and serve you as our Heavenly Father. 
Indeed, open our eyes throughout this day, Lord, that we might count our blessings and just be overwhelmed by the goodness that You have shown to us. Father, we thank You that we can come to You in times of struggle, in times of need. Lord, we we bring before You those who are, are wrestling with hardships and trials this day. For Bruce, as he uh, recovers from surgery, we ask that You would provide the healing and the strength and the uh, freedom from pain for which he longs. Likewise, for Linda's father, we ask that You would give um, wisdom to the doctors and we pray that You would would strengthen these who are seeking healing with the reminder that they serve the great physician. Lord, we thank You for showing that in uh, the healing that Linda has experienced. Also the healing that Jamie has experienced. And Lord, we pray that You would give her the the peace that she needs as she goes for that uh, scan. Grant that it might show uh, all the more what previous scans have shown, that You have provided healing, that You have granted strength. Lord, we pray for other members of our congregation who are in particular need, those who are grieving, those who are dealing with illnesses and ailments of the body, those who are are wrestling with doubt, fear, who are brought low by depression or anxiety, who are overwhelmed by their circumstances. Lord, You know each one. We pray that You would provide as only You are able. And as our culture, uh, as our nation marks Mother's Day and recognizes the blessing that mothers are to us, Lord, we give You thanks that You have provided the mothers in our midst and those beyond our congregation who are in our lives. Father, we pray that You would bless each one of them. That You would give joy in the labors of motherhood that You would grant refreshment when it seems like the the tasks are endless, that You would enable them to see those children, each one of them, as a rich blessing that You have entrusted to them. And Lord, we pray for those who are struggling because it is Mother's Day. Those who long to be mothers, but, but You've not yet granted them that privilege. Those whose children are straying from them or from you. Mothers who have made the hard decision to give up their babies for adoption. Those who have suffered miscarriages or who bear the scars of losing children. Lord, you know the trials and the difficulties that come with motherhood. Think of the foster mothers here who have known much heartache and and struggle. But we also know, Lord, that in those struggles, in those hardships, You are the, the comforter. And that You employ the mothers in our midst to demonstrate Your steadfast love your constant care, your unending provision for us. Father, we pray that You would help us to see in our mothers that image of Your perfect fatherly care. And Lord, we pray that You would make this day to be a day in which we worship You because of the blessings that You've provided through them. Lord, we pray for the other needs in our midst. You know the, the struggles and the hardships and the trials that we face. We, and we, we pour them out before You, acknowledging that You are the one who alone can provide and that You do with great power. Lord, thank You for the blessings that You provide for our family members that are, are far from us. Uh, We pray that You would continue to watch over them as well. Uh, We thank You for bringing Jonathan home to his family after deployment. 
and for caring for Him in, in that time and for them. We ask that You would continue to watch over our family members who are uh, far away. Lord, we pray for this church. As our council members meet tomorrow, we pray that You would grant them wisdom and peace and strength and, uh, and that You would unify them around the decisions that they need to make. And we pray for this land, Lord. We've seen again in this past week how divided we are and how that division really at the end of the day is a spiritual division. Those who serve the Lord separated from those who serve the flesh, from those whose primary interest is what's in it for them in the moment, no matter what it costs others, even the most vulnerable in our midst. Lord, we pray that You would provide a unity in our nation. Because we know that politicians can't do it. We know that ad campaigns can't do it. We certainly know that the media can't unite us. But, but You can by changing hearts. You can by, by working repentance in the hearts of those who have been astray from You. You are able to unite our land by causing Your people to show the love of Christ and to demonstrate Your power to transform the hearts of those who are in rebellion against You, to cause them to humble themselves and to come and to trust in Christ and to be restored to You. Father, we pray that You would work that in our nation. For that's the only hope that this land has. The only hope that mankind has. Left to ourselves, we will always be filled with hatred toward You and hatred toward our neighbor. We will always pursue that which is pleasure, pleasurable to us in the moment without regard to the cost for later or the cost to others. Father, we pray that You would show many, multitudes, the misery of living in that attitude. And then use Your church to draw them to Your Son. Father, to that end, we pray Your blessing upon the Word that is proclaimed among us this morning. That You would use it to strengthen and to mature us drawing us closer to You, filling us with your, your love and Your mercy. Father, we pray this knowing that we, we can't provide what we need for ourselves. We can't even discern what those needs are. But You can. You are able to provide exactly what we need at every moment. Lord, we pray that You would do that. And that you would refresh us on this glorious day of rest. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's sing once more. Psalm 126 reminds us that it is God who provides for us. He's the one who restores us. He's the one who strengthens us. He's the one who protects us. And therefore, He's the one we confess as our hope, as our help, as our strength. So let's do that by standing and singing number 268, Psalm 126. We'll sing all the stanzas. 268.
going to look together, Lord willing, at the truth that we confess in Article 33 of our Confession. It's an article that deals with the sacraments. But as we prepare to do that, I'd like to read with you the text that establishes the first of the sacraments that God gave to His people. We find that in Genesis 17. We're going to read the first 14 verses. I want you to notice how God gives this sacrament it's the sacrament of circumcision. It's been replaced by the sacrament of baptism now. I want you to notice how he gives it to his people to teach them, to assure them, to strengthen them concerning the relationship they have with him as his people, as the, the people he's chosen and gathered to himself. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to, him, to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make Make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Amen. And so we see how the sacrament is bound up with the covenant, right? They're in his covenant, therefore they receive the sacrament. But if they refuse to, to receive that sacrament, that sign and seal of the covenant, then they're cut off because in refusing the, refusing the sacrament, they're refusing what it signifies. And so, in Article 33 of our Confession, we believe that our gracious God, taking account of our weakness and infirmities, has ordained the sacraments for us, thereby to seal unto us His promises, and to be pledges of the good will and grace of God toward us, and also to nourish and strengthen our faith, which He has joined to the word of the gospel, the better to present to our senses both that which He declares to us by His word, and that which He works inwardly in our hearts, thereby confirming in us the salvation which he imparts to us. For they are visible signs and seals of an inward and invisible thing, by means whereof God works in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore the signs are not empty or meaningless so as to deceive us, for Jesus Christ is the true object presented by them, without whom they would be of no moment. Moreover, we are satisfied with the number of the sacraments which Christ our Lord has instituted 
which are two only, namely the sacrament of baptism and the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, the human race is ever tempted to extremes, tempted to swing from one extreme to the other, and the church is not exempt from that. Back in the 1500s, one of the chief errors of the Roman church, of course the chief one being their reliance on the works of men to justify men, but they had others that were significant. And one of them circled around the sacraments. You see, as time went on, throughout the Middle Ages, people understood less and less clearly what was actually happening in the worship of the church. They knew that you had to be baptized if you were to be a Christian. They were taught that you had to confess and do penance, which they also considered to be a sacrament. They knew that you had to partake of communion at least once a year, but most of them didn't know why you were supposed to do those things. They simply did them in the hope that if they did what they were supposed to do, God would receive them into heaven. And the men who reformed the church in the 1500s and afterward, they knew that was wrong. They knew that the sacraments are powerless apart from faith in Jesus. They knew that God cares how we worship. And they saw the immense power, not of superstitiously observing sacraments, but rather of faithfully preaching the word, of carefully catechizing the children of the church, of exercising church discipline, and of observing the sacraments rightly by faith. So, the reformers emphasized these things, and that was good. What's not so good is how, with that emphasis, especially on the preaching and catechizing of the church, the pendulum swung, and folks tended to emphasize the sacraments much less, if not, not at all. Now, that wasn't uniform across the board during the age of the Reformation. Luther had a strong view of the power and the importance of the sacraments. So did Calvin. So did Beza. But many, responding to Rome's overemphasis on the sacraments, many just about scorned the sacraments. The reformers Zwingli, who did much good, who taught many wise things, was so offended by the superstitious nature of of the Roman practice of the sacraments, that, that he de-emphasized them. He said, you know, the, the Lord's Supper, baptism, they're really just visible reminders of the preaching of the Word. They're helpful, but they're not really necessary. They're not really all that important in the life of the church. Now, officially, the Reformed churches followed Calvin, who had a high view of the sacraments, who saw them as important, even necessary, to the strengthening of our faith. But in practice... Many of the people of the Reformed churches have often followed Zwingli, acting as though the sacraments aren't all that important, thinking they're nice, but not really necessary. And so our forefathers saw the need to remind us in Articles 33 through 35 of what the sacraments are, of why they've been given, and of how God wants us, commands us to use them. And we start out, as we see the, the truth of Scripture that's summarized in this article, by seeing that God gave the sacraments to build up His children. And so that's our theme this morning. God builds up His children by means of the sacraments. And that begins by the way that He uses the sacraments to give us assurance. So He provides assurance that strengthens us. That's our first point. What? Why did God give us the sacraments? Article 33 says it very clearly and plainly. We believe that our gracious God, taking account of our weaknesses and infirmities, has ordained the sacraments for us. See, God knows us. He knows us generally, but also individually. He knows our strengths, but also our weaknesses. He knows what we have and also what we need. 
And he knows that we're his children. Children are, by definition, immature, right? They're growing, they're learning, they're being built up. And that doesn't just happen, does it? You let a child run free, he's not going to mature. He needs to be disciplined. He needs to be taught. He needs to be discipled. It's only if we mold and shape and care for him that he'll grow up into maturity. And that's what God does. He does that through a number of means. He does it through the preaching of the word. He does it through church discipline. And and I'm not talking just with the consistory, but the discipline that we have when somebody comes up and says, hey, you need to walk in a better way. right? Those are means by which he matures us. And so are the sacraments. God uses the sacraments to, to provide assurance that strengthens our faith in at least three ways. First of all, by, by giving them as seals. Kids, do you know what seals are? A seal is something that attests to, that, that shows you that something is genuine. If you get a document from the government, it'll have a seal on there. right? If it's an official document, if you go and, and get your birth certificate, right? it'll have a raised seal that says, this is genuine, this is, the, this is the real deal. It's not a forgery, it's not something he made up on his computer. If you looked at your parents' uh, wedding certificate, It'll have a, a seal on it that says this is real. This is uh, something that the state testifies is genuine. Well, that's what the sacraments do. They, they're a physical act that shows us the genuineness, the trustworthiness, the truthfulness of the promises God gives us in His covenant. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And by baptism and the Lord's Supper, He shows us we can trust that. We can believe it. It's true. Sacraments are seals. They're also pledges. A pledge is something real, something concrete that we receive that assures us about what's to come. So for instance, if, if you were to buy something really big, right? A car, a house. You decide, this is the one I want. But you've got to go get the money because you don't, you know, you buy a house, you're talking... Hundreds of thousands of dollars usually, right? At least tens of thousands. You don't carry that around in your wallet. It would be a big wallet. You have to go get that money. So when you make your offer, you put down what's called earnest money. It's like a down payment that shows them, I'm serious about buying this house. You do the same thing with a car. You put down a deposit that says, I'm serious. This is a small taste of what is to come when I pay off the whole amount. And the sacraments are that too. They give us a small taste, something we can hold and touch and feel that gives us assurance concerning the whole of what God has promised. So they're signs, they're seals, and also they're a source of nourishment and strength. They feed us inside, in our hearts, the way food feeds our bodies. They impart strength in the way that the nourishment you'll receive later on at the dinner table imparts strength. So by giving sacraments that are seals and pledges and a source of nourishment, our Heavenly Father provides assurance for His children. Those, assurance, those assurances of our faith have been a part of God's purpose in giving the sacraments from the start. We read from Genesis 17. Now, Colossians 3 tells us that circumcision is the Old Testament equivalent of baptism. That is, it's the, the sacrament that was given to people coming into the covenant. New believers who were entering into Israel, if they were men, they, they received this sacrament. Also, infants, when they were born into the covenant, because they were the children of believers, they were given this sacrament as an entrance into the covenant. The intent of that sacrament was to give confirmation, to give assurance of God's covenant. How would it do that? Genesis 17 verse 11 says it would be a sign of the covenant between God and His people. As a sign, it shows them something of the nature of God's promises. It's something they could see that would build their understanding. Namely, that 
God would bring about fulfillment of all that He had promised through the offspring, through the children, right? Uh, Genesis 17 verses 11 and 12 shows that it's to be given to all of the members of the covenant. Not just to those who've professed their faith, who've come to a certain maturity. No, there are privileges that come with maturity. There's different roles within Israel and also within the church that come with maturity. But all the members of the covenant, notice from eight days old, are to receive this pledge showing them the promises for you too. Even though you're not old enough yet to understand it. Even though you're not old enough yet to confess it. Even though you can't live as a responsible member of the covenant, it comes to you. Right? Verses 13 and 14, it marks them as recipients of the covenant. If you're not receiving this sacrament, you're, you're not receiving the promises. If you're not, that's why we baptize our babies when they're little, right? Same reason that, that Israelites circumcised their baby boys when they were very little. Because God commands it, but also so that they know the promises to you. Now you have to respond with faith. You have to answer to that according to your maturity. But, but God gives that to give assurance. But note well, the sacraments give assurance concerning what already has been given. In Genesis 17, God's speaking of a covenant that was already established. Already back in Genesis 12, God verbally established His covenant with Abram. In Genesis 15, he used a sacrificial rite to formally establish that covenant. So Romans 4 tells us that circumcision did not make Abraham righteous. Instead, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. That sacrament served to confirm what he already possessed. He already had righteousness because he already had the covenant because God had already done that. But the sacrament confirmed it. And so it is with all the sacraments. They're not given to establish something new, a new relationship, a new righteousness. No, they're given to assure us concerning what we already have. A promise we've already received. A relationship we've already entered. A righteousness we already possess. God said much the same with regard to Passover in Deuteronomy 16. He said, hold this Passover feast to remember what I have done for you. That I have delivered you from slavery. That I have provided for you according to your needs. That I have given you these promises. Right? Passover caused them to look back. Now, of course, it looked forward too. So did circumcision. But it looked back on, on a relationship, on a promise that had already been given. And so it is in the New Testament. With baptism, same as circumcision. It says, I've already established my covenant with you. Even though you're just a little baby. I've already given those promises to you. Now you have to receive them by faith, sure, but, but you've received the covenant. You've received the promise. Lord's Supper. Jesus has already died. He's already provided all that is necessary for your forgiveness, all that is necessary to nourish and strengthen and bless you forever. Right? So that Lord's Supper, it doesn't make us righteous. It doesn't give us life but it gives us assurance about what does. And that's what Jesus has accomplished. Now, knowing that is essential for how we regard the sacraments. First of us, it teaches us that the sacraments are for those inside the church. They're not intended for those outside. Back in, in Exodus chapter 12, God commands that, this is regarding the Passover, that no foreigner shall eat it. If a foreigner wants to partake of the Lord's Supper, or of, of the Passover, they had to become an Israelite. That means they had to be taught what it means to be part of Israel. If they were male, they had to be circumcised. They had to live according to God's commands for His people. Then they could partake of Passover, because then they'd be Israelites. If they did otherwise, well, what, what would they be doing? They'd, they'd be receiving a meal that said, this is what God did for you when He didn't do it for them because they aren't part of Israel. They'd be receiving a meal that would say, this is what God promises you, but God's not promising it to them because they're not part of Israel. Right? 
Likewise for baptism, for the Lord's Supper. It's only for those within the church. Because those sacraments, they demonstrate God's promise to His people. If you're not part of His people, they're not really for you. But on the other hand, if you are part of His people, they are for you and you must not neglect them. Right? Knowing that the sacraments assure us concerning what we have, it shows us that it's for those within the church, but it also shows us that we need what they give. Our Father knows our weakness. He knows our need. And He provides in those sacraments exactly what we need. So we, we need to take them with joy. And we need to come by faith, trusting that God will use the sacraments to provide what we need. That said... The sacraments aren't meant to stand on their own. That's one of the ways in which the church in the Middle Ages had failed. Worship services, starting around the time of the... when, when the church uh, became received, became recognized by the Roman Empire, church services began to be held in Latin because that was the common language of the empire, right? And that was fine. Because most everybody understood Latin. Thing is, oftentimes what we do for good reason, for wise purposes, after we've done it for a period of time, we do it simply because we do it. And that's what happened with the Latin worship services. Over time, people began speaking Latin only in formal circumstances. And pretty soon, the common people weren't speaking Latin anymore. In fact, it came to the point where even the priests weren't understanding Latin, but they still held the worship services in Latin. And you can guess what happened then, right, young people? I mean, it's like sitting in a, you know, you, you sign up for Spanish class in high school and they accidentally shove you in Spanish 4 instead of Spanish 1. You're going to be like nodding along like you understand what's going on and you have no idea, right? That's what they were doing in church. The priest is up there doing his things, saying his words. They have no idea what it means. And that's not what God intended. The sacraments are to be coupled with the preaching of the Word because the sacraments are the Word made visible. The sacraments are a demonstration of the heart of the Gospel. Not of everything that the Bible says, but of the heart of the Gospel. And so that's the second thing we see here is that the sacraments portray salvation to enlighten us. The sacraments have always been joined to the Word, to the Gospel. Remember, our God created us and so He understands, better than we do, that we learn in a variety of ways. Think about how you learned as a child. Your parents said, now don't touch that stove, it's hot. And at some point, you went and you touched it anyway. And suddenly you understood what hot meant, right? We had a wood-burning stove in our last house. The young cousins, you know, they would come over, and my kids were old enough to get it. They knew what hot was by that point. But all the young cousins, at some point, they had to go up and at least almost touch it. That's why they said not to touch it, right? We learn not just by hearing but by seeing, by touching, by tasting, by smelling. And that's what the sacraments do. They teach in a visible, touchable way what preaching teaches in words. We see that throughout Scripture when we encounter the sacraments. For example, when God gives His Old Testament people the sacrament of Passover in Exodus 12, after telling them how to celebrate the Passover and that they're to do it every year, he says, now, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. Notice the Lord's expectation there. The kids are going to see them celebrating the sacrament of Passover. And they're going to want to know why. That's what kids do, right? Why? Why do you do that? Why does it say that? Why does it mean that? They want to know why. And he says, so when they ask why, you explain what I did, what it shows, what it signifies, why it's important. 
He wanted them to explain what the kids were seeing so that what they were seeing would mean more to them. And he wants us to do the same thing. When we have a baptism, there's only one person being baptized, right? But that doesn't mean the rest of us can take a little nap. That doesn't mean that this part of the service isn't for all of us. No, it's for all of us. We need to remember that we were baptized. We need to pay attention to what's said about the baptism because it was said about us. You need to talk to your children, parents, and say, hey, don't forget, you were baptized when you were that age. What he says about this baby is what was said about you. Same with the Lord's Supper. Not all of our members partake of the Lord's Supper because it's only intended for mature members, right? We don't, we don't give it to the children. We don't give it uh, to folks who haven't joined a church yet because God warns us in 1 Corinthians 11 that that's dangerous to partake without understanding, without maturity. But that doesn't mean that the children aren't to grow from and be matured through the sacrament. In part, that's why we read those forms, which are just many sermons that explain the significance of the sacrament. But that's also your job as parents, right? And if you bring, if you bring an unbeliever or a, a brand new believer to church, and you know we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, tell them beforehand what it is, what it means, why it's significant. So that they can be blessed because they're still going to see it, right? They're going to see the bread being broken. They're going to see the wine poured out. They're going to smell it as it goes past. And all of that is meant to strengthen our faith. But it can't unless we tell them. It can't unless we couple it with the word proclaim. So that's the second thing is that it portrays salvation to enlighten us. We see that in the way that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it. So they see what Jesus came to do, right? They see that he came for his body to be broken just as that bread was. And he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. So he explains to them the significance of what they've just seen. As you saw happen to this bread, that's what will happen to my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. So he explains that what they're seeing, what's being portrayed before them, it's not for one or two, it's for all of his people. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so they see why he has to suffer, why he has to die. It's as an atoning sacrifice that will forgive their sins. You see, the gospel is wrapped up in this. By the way, as an aside, that's why we don't have a big screen where we can do all kind of multimedia. That's why we don't have pictures of Jesus and, and the disciples in our Bibles. That's why we don't do, you know, a big, I guess, mark my age, a flannel board graph in front of church. God doesn't want us portraying everything. Images have power. And so he limits the images to two because those images focus on the very heart of what we need to know, the very heart of what we need to believe. And that's the last thing we see here. The sacraments present Christ to encourage us. You see, Genesis 17, that sacrament of circumcision wasn't given to portray all of Israelite life. We might say all of the Christian life, right? It didn't present the various commands of the law. It didn't present the purity laws that separated them from the unbelieving nations around them. It didn't talk about all that. It focused on the heart of the gospel, the heart of their relationship. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your children after you. To be God to you and to your children after you. The sacrament would be a representation of the covenant itself. And right at the heart of that covenant, I will do everything necessary to make you my people. I will do everything necessary to become your God. Not just the God, but your God. The Passover did the same thing. 
Just like the Egyptians, you deserve death. But I gave you life. I passed over your houses and allowed you to live. But only if you were marked with the blood of the Lamb. Only if you were fed with the flesh of the Lamb. It pointed forward to Christ. It pointed them to the Gospel. And the same holds true with the New Testament sacrifices. Baptism, it doesn't teach us about all of the Christian life. It teaches us about the heart of the Christian life. You will be washed through Christ and made clean and made holy so that you can belong to, Je to, to God through Jesus. The Lord's Supper, it portrays the climax of what Jesus came to do for us, how He suffered and died and was broken. His blood poured out as a sacrifice for our sin so that we could be nourished unto eternal life, so that we could be nourished unto true life. It's the heart of the Gospel. It's the heart of what we needed and of what He did. The sacraments bless us. They build us up as the Father intended, but only, only when they show us Christ. That's why instruction in the sacraments is so crucial. That's why it must be coupled with the Word. That's why we teach our children in catechism and remind each other periodically through the preaching of the Word that this is what the sacraments are. This is why they're necessary. But when we understand them with Christ at the center, these sacraments build us up in the faith like nothing else is able. So young people, children, when we celebrate a baptism, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want you to pay attention. What does this show us about Jesus? What does this show us about God's promise? What does this show us about ourselves as God's people? If you don't understand, you need to ask. Wait until you get home and ask your parents. Write down the question on the bulletin. But make sure you ask. Make sure you inquire so that you can grow and so that you can be strengthened, built up, given assurance through this sacrament. Brothers and sisters, it is our temptation always to go to extremes. On one end, depending on the sacraments themselves to give us what we need. On the other end, pretending that the sacraments really aren't all that important, aren't all that essential after all. Our confession calls us to embrace the truth that is at the center. Seeing that the sacraments are deeply important to the Christian life in that God uses them to build us up in the faith that He has given us. So let's use them to that effect. Let's pray for God's strength and God's wisdom to use them properly, to keep them in their proper place. And God will use them. God will employ them to build us up, to mature us, to strengthen us. And He will be praised. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You've given us baptism and the Lord's Supper as a means of strengthening our faith and drawing us closer to You. We pray that You would cause us to see how important they are. And to build one another up, especially our young members, in understanding what they are, how they serve, how they bless us. And Father, we pray that as you employ these sacraments, our hearts would be overflow, overflowing with gratitude to you for all that you have done. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. In response, let's stand and sing. Uh, we're going to sing from number 407. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Number 407. Thank you. 
Let us pray. Father, as we give now you the worship that you deserve through our tithes and our offerings, we pray that you would receive these gifts as a token of our faith, that you are the one who provides perfectly for us, body and soul, and that therefore we trust in you to continue providing, to continue meeting our needs. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As our offering song this morning, we're going to sing number 283. Now may all in brotherhood, we'll sing the first four stanzas and then number 10. The first four and number 10. Thank you. 
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.